We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. What's up, y'all? It's Drewski, and I've teamed up with Mountain Dew to produce a hilarious new basketball podcast called The Dew Zone with Drewski. Learn the backstories of your favorite ballers and celebrities like Jamal Murray. Did you have, like, a favorite team? Was it the Raptors at the time or no? Was the Raptors even started around that time? Come on, bro. I ain't that old, fam. <laughs> You're talking like I'm 50. Taylor Rooks, Asia Wilson, and many more. You won't want to miss this. Listen to The Do Zone with Drewski on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, and wherever you listen to podcasts. This is the Dane Moore NBA podcast brought to you by Blue Wire Podcast coming at you Friday night after the Timberwolves overtime loss to the Boston Celtics. I'm joined by Britt Robson of The Athletic, who not now I'm convincing you to do these, these late night podcasts. You're not going to be able to get out of it anymore. Um, Britt, we knew you wrote, uh, you wrote a great trade McDaniels piece today. We're going we're gonna to obviously... Dig into that, but um, obviously let's let's start with this this game tonight. That was yeah. was a you know as good as the Timberwolves have looked you know for for a lot of the season, and then um, you know kind of fell apart in the second half. It's kind of inverted way of how this is going, and then right, and then really down the stretch uh, again again crumbled away. What what segment of that I guess are you most focused on the good the good first half the crumbling away or I guess there's there's more. Then they come back. I mean, what what sticks out to you from tonight? Actually, I I think that the most important thing, for me anyway, is figuring out whether or not this D'Lo Cat Edwards thing can exist on the court at the same time. What'd you think of that? You know, Beasley is not around, uh, which I, makes I honestly it... did not even think of him tonight. Yeah. This is the first time Lake Beasley's crossed my mind today. Yeah. Uh, which makes it easier. But what I will say is uh, I've been very pleasantly surprised with how well they mostly share the ball. Um, I think that uh, there doesn't seem to be a hogging. There doesn't seem to be a jealousy toward uh, possessions that I think we saw even like with Cat and D'Lo when they were trying to figure it out very briefly last year in Toronto and then earlier this season in the few games sure. they played together. I, th- I think they're running actions that um, make sense. Um, I think that D'Lo did 
own the possessions down the stretch, but that's because he was hot, I assume. I mean, if it wasn't, if D'Lo had missed uh, 70% of those shots, which we've seen in the past, then he'd be easily ripped for doing that. But when the, the shots are going in, I mean, even the long banker that, you know, had an element of luck to it, he was hot at that point, and you could tell he was feeling it. And um, if Cat or Edwards had had the exact same uh, shots and the exact same looks, um, I think that we would have granted them, you know, a little bit of ball hogging in that circumstance. So and let then, me let me let me push back on it uh, a little bit, or just like okay. the, the two things that that stick out to me as imperfect. And okay. And that would be, I'm still just overall a little bit confused about how it's going to look and feel given that D'Lo is currently coming off the bench. We're only really seeing those three together in, you know, in, in meaningful times at the end of the game. Yeah, but that's the time when it matters. That is, that is. I just, I, I don't feel like I, I've seen enough of the three kind of oh, working yeah. together. No, I, I, I would not say it's a, a, a minted trio uh, no. in terms of what they're doing, but they're already uh, further along in terms of on-court synergy than I imagined. But what um, about the th- all three of them? I thought the two of them were great, and this doesn't mean it was bad. I thought, you know, the, the Cat and Dilo thing down the stretch, fourth quarter, you know, and the overtime when it was still in balance, right. that, that looked great. I did – you know, and we, we literally game just ended, you know, and right. turned turn on the mics, but Ant did not seem involved in that at all. And, and more importantly than involved, engaged in it. And I think that is kind of the, the extra wheel to this where I go, all right, if, if we are confident that the cat Dilo thing can, can kind of feed off of each other, what is Ant going to do to stay engaged when he isn't the one as a, as a key part of the action? If he is kind of, you know, pushed over the corner or simply just feeding the action and kind of letting them go. Because I, I mean, maybe part of it is having just seen, you know, Ant kind of hit that fifth gear in the fourth quarter of these last few games. He seemed pretty well and neutral to me tonight in, in the fourth quarter. Yeah. But I, I think it's very convenient that we have the Celtics as the opponent tonight to look at, um, you know, where was Jalen Brown in the second overtime in the, in the overtime? You right. Maybe, I mean? maybe it's just unreasonable to, to think, think all three you, can go. If you have three guys and two guys are cooking, sure. uh, I don't care who the third guy is. They have to gracefully uh, be less of a role. And as I thought, Ant did a good job of being graceful. He did have one, I think, signature move. He, he did score some points either late in the fourth or early in overtime that I thought, okay, you know, ants in the party or whatever. Uh, it was mostly a D low cat scenario. Um, I guess what I'm thinking of, and I'm thinking of that OKC game where it was just all, all D low, you know, remember back earlier uh-huh. in the year and there's just like Nas high screen from every single Oh yeah. Time. That was terrible. Yeah. 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 No. And so I'm not saying it was that, but that that's when the first time in my head went, all right, ant doesn't know how to engage himself when someone else has fully taken advantage of the reins. And now it's been just a, it's been a building curiosity for me as I start thinking about, all right, well, he's probably never going to be the first or second, like in general, 
at, at the end of games. So I'm always looking for that engagement. And and I don't know. I I, I would say I didn't feel like I saw it. I, I think they could have used one or two other things from Ant there. Whether it, Maybe it isn't even the scoring. Maybe it is the offensive rebound, that fifth-gear offensive rebound that we saw, or the steal in the passing lanes. Like, And he's a rookie. But they needed one or two of those, I felt, in the, fa- the last eight minutes of the game. And I don't know if Ant is as able to do that when he's kind of being pushed off into a lower leverage role. I understand what you're saying. I just think you're a harsh grader. Yeah, that's fair. Uh, I mean, I, I really, I think that, um, I probably shut up if they won the game, but they, also well, no, I think more than that, there's a piece of this that is passivity as selflessness. Mm -hmm. That is going to be really important. Uh, when you have three incredibly high usage guys, um, who, by the way, none of them have really like put on the badge of I am a successful crunch time operator. You know, I mean, uh, all of them have questions about how they do when sure. when the going gets tough. And so they all have something to prove. They all have reason to prove it. And they all have talent enough to think they can prove it. So what I'm looking for, even more than... Um, total engagement from all three is a working relationship in which there's enough uh, allowance for good things to happen. Um, and I think that um, I think that is more typical when you have a team rife with stars. Um, as long as there are no hard feelings when a guy is temporarily uh, left off, I mean, tonight, for example, Kemba Walker, uh, I, I was begging for Kemba Walker to take totally. shots as yeah. somebody who, you know, who thinks the Wolves, uh, you know, would, would really have benefited from this game. And it's the team I cover. Um, when Kemba, you know, missed that shot uh, about halfway through overtime or whatever it was, I, I tweeted out, you know, of all the guys on the court, I'm glad sure. that, you know, and then he turns around and bangs home two threes. Well, what's What's great is that Marcus Smart and Jalen Brown and certainly Jason Tatum, all of whom have reason to say, what the fuck, you know, give me the ball. Um, You know, that's that's what I want to see on the Wolves side of the ball. And that's why um, early in this process, first of all, um, I think it's a really positive development that even if Delo's shot selection can be questioned as a process, as, as what he's done, the results have been really strong. Right. And so, uh, you know, the two games he's been back that have mattered in that respect, um, I think he's, he's really played well, actually three games now. And so um, it's kind of going to be an interesting dichotomy there, right? Because I think, uh, you know, that Sacramento game, right? He, he was big. He was, he was, I would argue the reason they won that game against the Kings. Yet right. his, his finishing stat line is very D-low-y, right? People could point that and go, Oh no, that was, you know, that was ineffective, ineffective. That did not produce yeah. wins, but that's going to be kind of some of the stuff you have to parse with him because he does or has at least thus far kind of delivered in situations that carry more weight. See, 
I've been, I think it's fair to say, certainly all the Delos stands on Twitter would agree with this. I've been a pretty constant critic of Delos and uh, still have my doubts. But you can't look at what he's done since he's come back and right. not and not say this has been a boon. This is this is another option that spaces the floor. This is a guy that really is fearless. Um I always get the impression when Cat is shooting, you know, when it's do or die, uh, as me- as much as as not, he's praying that the ball goes in. Hmm. I th- I think that uh, both Ant and and Delo expect the ball to be going in, and um, and Delo it does go in more often. Yeah, uh, yeah. Like with I, with Ant, like I, I'm you know I was questioning the whole Ant involvement or whatever I was saying there at the beginning, but. At the same time, like the guy I want right now to come down and pull up from three when there's a minute left in the fourth quarter and you're down by a three, I feel almost exponentially more confident in D'Lo making that shot than I do Anthony Edwards making that well, shot. Well, and, and that's because um, Ant is – Ant ramps himself up with downhill movement and – then he begins to hit the threes. Now there have been games. There was one recently where he he got he started fast from outside. Um, tonight, yeah. Okay, well, it was it only tonight? <laughs> but it most of the time, the vast majority of the time, um, and Finch agrees with this, and most everybody would probably agree with this is that you need D'Lo establishing himself in the paint before he even thinks about going yeah. outside. And or oh, I said D Lo, yeah. Okay. <laughs> Maybe these late nights aren't a great idea. So uh but anyway, I think that Ant is somebody I want with the ball if even if he has two or three defenders waiting for him at the rim, mm-hmm. I think he's capable of either drawing the foul, even in the tougher environment of getting a foul in that circumstance, or putting it in over people. You're right about, and you're right about the fact that if Ann is pulling up for a three at a crucial time, uh, I'm getting ready to tweet WTF. You know, I mean, (laughs) you know, what you know. Whereas Gilo, um, I'm just thankful it's not a 16 footer. You know, (laughs) Uh, you know, I mean, if if Gilo shoots a long three, he's got 28 foot range, I think. And sure. um, and if you would have legit twenty eight foot range, crunch time really is the time to pull it out because uh, that's how you magnetize people and space the floor and and get better offensive rebounds off the long bounce and all these other things. Um, so again, my biggest concern was going to be um, jealousy to not to put too fine a point on it. I, you know, it's my time to shine and I deserve to shine here. Um, and thus far, I would say Delo has proven to be the alpha crunch time guy on this team in a very small sample size, but it's interesting how a lot of the games have had a decent amount of crunch time. And Cat seems cool with it. Tonight, Cat yeah. seems cool with that shot. Or a couple Kat- shots. I actually think that Cat is going out of his way to be a good teammate all season, practically. And part of that is um, 
being cool with it. And sometimes he does it to a fault, but when Delo's burying those shots, he's right. not doing it to a fault. You know, so long long story short, it's it's a good development, these three. You asked me of all the things I wanted to talk about in this incredibly varied game, and we'll move on after this. But I do think that trio playing ample crunch time minutes in some pretty fraught situations. I mean, down after, after being up 17, being down double digits and coming and forcing overtime um, and, and getting the Celtics who have been in a ton of these games a little bit rattled, you know, at the end of the fourth and the beginning of overtime. Um, they punched back. That was cool. And so that to me was probably the signature thing I liked. Uh, let's talk about something you want to talk about. Well, let, let me ask you about the other two guys that were on the floor okay. because because I felt that tonight that seemed to make sense to me. Josh Okogie and Jaden McDaniels surrounding those doubt. three. Without and, a doubt. And I, I think we've all kind of gotten to the point that, you know, one of those two spots is Jaden's for sure. And, you know, it's just about, you know, him kind of doing his job, which is making his open threes, cutting a little bit, and, you know, playing defense. And then the fifth spot has, you know, that's been sort of ambiguous. You go, you start asking yourself, is that going to be Ricky Rubio's role? Are they going to close with Ricky and D'Lo in, in that situation? Or, you know, or is it up for grabs? We've seen like Jalen Noel get closing minutes and, and stuff like that. But Josh Okoge, I mean, I think he played after it kind of biffing those two dunks at the beginning of the game, which he probably got fouled on. Um, I thought this was as good of a Josh Okoge game as we've seen. He got pissed at the beginning, lit the fire under him, and that's like electrocuted Josh Okoge can be a hell of a player and and really, really matter. So I, I felt that those two fit in yeah. well as, as low usage dudes. Without a doubt, uh, you know, I mean, you know that I'm in favor of McDaniels getting anywhere from 33 to 38 minutes a game, uh, regardless now. Uh, I like the idea of the fifth position being an educated guess, you know, it <laughs> like being, yeah. uh, you know, what, what's the matchup? Well, tonight, you know, you got Marcus Smart, you got uh, Jason Tatum, you got Jalen Brown and you got Kemba Walker. Yeah. You um, can't do Ricky. You can't do Ricky. You can't do, you know, some kind of squirrely thing with Lehman or Wancho or somebody, you know, it's got to be, you know, it, it had to be Okogi if um, you could play, if, if the, if the teammates match Okogi's energy, uh, sometimes people don't come along with Okogi and then Okogi just looks stupid. You know, Okogi looks like the guy who was, um, is leaving his man too much or is um, playing too fast. Whereas what it is, is Okogi is just digging deeper than his teammates and he's not talented enough to dig and also uh, cover for his sure. teammates. If his teammates are, are flying around too, though, Okogi gets his rhythm going. And, um, and that's why Ricky actually was a great kind of partnership for him in the first half. Especially because of his steals, right? I mean, Ricky still can't make a bucket <laughs> to save his life, which which is, let's face it, you know, I mean, what are we, year 11 now? Um, the outlier in Phoenix, 36% from deep or whatever it was, was great. Maybe yeah. even 38%. I can't remember what it was. But um, 
Ricky Rubio does not inspire confidence on the court when you need two sides of the ball to be leveraged from the perimeter. Um, and so, Britt, what the hell has been the D'Lo always needing to play next to a point guard thing? Well, so far, I think it's been successful because um, he's working his way back in. And what Finch said, which I really like, is yeah. I don't want him to bring the ball up, but I want him to have the ball in his hands early in the clock. Yeah. I mean, that to me, I th- what that says to me is um, we're not going to get single possession uh, D'Lo stuff. Which I think, you know, overtime and the fourth quarter tonight notwithstanding is is bad for the team. You don't want D'Lo to be the one-man gang when you have Cat and Edwards on the floor and both sides are just starting to get into the rhythm of the game. Um, and D'Lo is prone to do that. So I do think that having another ball handler on the floor is good. I much prefer it to be J-Mac than Rubio and I'm not saying that J-Mac is a better overall net point guard no, I get what you're saying. than Rubio, but I think that I think J-Mac, it's as easy as speed, man. It's like... Exactly. Just, just about to say the same thing is that um, McLaughlin has different speeds. Rubio has one, D'Lo has one, and they're different. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah, right. <laughs> no, it's true. It's, I wouldn't actually say it's been bad. Like, I don't think the D'Lo, like, I love I love the Sacramento game, the way they were using D'Lo. I mean, how many different iterations of those, like, Iverson cuts across the lane, just, just bringing them up through the nail. They love this little horn set thing, right, with Cat and D'Lo at that spot. I mean, it's it's all these different ways, and it's, it's working really well with D'Lo. It's just, part of me, it's just a little bizarre, I guess, where I, where you, I, I find myself, like, tracking it during the game, and I'm like, ooh. 64 seconds where D'Lo is out there as the only point guard. It's just right, right. I, you and, know, maybe you just got to get used to it. Maybe this is is what. Well, it is. I, I, I mean, you wish that there was a better compliment. I mean, both yeah, right. Ru- Rubio and J Mac have their flaws, but did you see how fast the pace was for the Wolves at the beginning of the game? I mean, the second they got the ball, Rubio was just Hit flying, out, yeah. and I think he he was thinking to himself, you know. No D'Lo on the court now. I am going to fly around, and I'm going to be really aggressive. Um, Ricky's just—he knows that his window of Rubio time is way down now, and so he is going to maximize every second he's out there. And and that in and of itself isn't bad if if we know that let him blow out his energy and. Put it all, leave it all on the court, and then bring in J Mac and and D'Lo, and have it be a decent. Those guys really know how to set each other up pretty well. Um, is it a long term strategy though? I, I'm not saying it isn't. Working nothing is a long term strategy uh, in terms of the the, the non Beasley backcourt right now. I think that uh, I don't think Rubio and D'Lo are going to be together next year. I, another reason I do think that the J-Mac uh, D'Lo pairing works better than the Rubio D'Lo pairing is that D'Lo does not see J-Mac as a serious rival. Mm. And I think that's important. You know, I mean, all these chemistry things I think are really important. And um, 
it is tricky. I mean, pecking orders are tricky. And especially when um, you've got a lot of two and a halves on the pecking order, you know, you got a lot of, uh, got a lot of situations where, um, and that's what makes uh, McDaniel so good because he's a comfortable low usage guy who's also pretty efficient. Um, and that's why Okoki was good tonight because nobody is going to uh, mind if Okoki occasionally tries to take advantage of the wide open looks that uh, people give him all the time, especially from the corner, especially if he puts it on the deck and, you know, makes six of 11, which I think is what he was at at the end of the game or whatever it was. It's, it's, it's interesting. It, It feels to me like when I'm watching some of this Ricky stuff, or it reminds me of, Tibbs's first year where Ricky was still here. Right. And, and there was a lot of Ricky just Put Rubio off-ball. in the corner. Yeah. <laughs> and, and, you know, in hindsight, or even just the next season, you're like, what the hell were they even like, why did we do 800 minutes of that? You know, right, like right. just some of that sort of stuff where, where you wonder, all right, are we investing time and development into developing something that actually doesn't have any sort of future here? And part of me thinks that, is is what this D'Lo stuff feels like. But then I think about it on another layer and and part of this development, right? This is just a development of D'Lo's off-ball game or, or saying, you know, this is part of the firmament. Makes sense because Ant is going to functionally be the point guard next year or the year after that in ways two next to D'Lo. So, so to have a substantial part of your playbook, if you will, where D'Lo is the off-ball guy or is going through the nails, doing all those sorts of things, I think to that end, it, it does make sense, you know, to have D'Lo in, in that spot. But I don't know, the, the Ricky part, the Ricky part's just funky and maybe it just is going to prove to be empty air. Yeah, the Ricky part is a remnant of a failed project. Mm. Uh, and And I would also point out or predict that while your ant hypothesis makes total sense to be determined, I think over Delo's dead body for a while, you know, I mean, I I think that um, again, you know, uh, there is cause for these guys to want the role they want. And right now, everybody's playing nice, and the Wolves are – that was a great game tonight. I mean, it was a very enjoyable game. Um, yeah. Losing to the Celtics when Jason Tatum is going out of his mind and Jalen Brown eventually comes to the party and Marcus Smart does all the cool Marcus Smart things like defend Cat better than anybody else on the <laughs> team and, and you know, milk fouls and uh, – you know, victimize themselves into a frenzy. Um, you know, that that's that's Celtic basketball, and they had to pull out all the stops to beat this, you know, 12-win team, 13-win team, you know, in overtime tonight. So right. that's, that's good news. Um, so, you know, I think that at the end of the day, um, there will be a lot of sorting out in the pecking order. Um, I am intrigued to see how firmly D'Lo has stepped into the party 
right away, even before he has like 35 minutes or 30 minutes to operate with. And yeah. if it if it holds, then there's going to be it's going to be a fascinating time. But let's remember that the guy upstairs, you know, Gerson Rosas is very, very invested in Cat and Dilo working out. And right now he's getting a little boost. And and so Ant's just going to have to suck that up and mm -hmm. and or alternatively go into one of those fifth gear binges you're talking about, in which case they are the other guys, whoever is also going can maybe go, you know, feed off uh, Ant's draft. But the other guy has to take the what the, the role Ant had tonight and just basically wait for a moment or two you know, to stick his fork in the mix, you know? Yeah, it is. I think that's going to be the supernova version of this team, right? Is, is the cat Delo in, in fourth quarters, the cat Delo but, thing, um, running their two man game there. Plus you have ant in, in fifth gear, getting offensive reboundings, getting the ball on a second side swing, attacking the rim, just playing forceful. Like that will be, I don't know, like the, the video game equivalent of being on fire as a team, right? Just right. And, and that will be that will straight up be hard to to beat. It'll be hard for teams to, you know, to to match points with. I'm provided just, I, provided that everybody has a context. Yeah. Um, if Ant has one of his fifth gear things like he did against Phoenix or Portland or you know the, the other night even. Uh, yeah, uh, the Kings one. Or yeah, yeah. yeah. He's actually doing it a lot. Was. Yeah. Yeah. Um, if he has that then you ride that until there are signs that it's not a good idea anymore. <laughs> and, and, and Ant has to know that. And it's the hardest thing. I mean, a 19-year-old, a 20-year-old a guy who's, you know, got all the confidence in the world and is starting to roll and, by the way, has taken the third wheel roll occasionally now. Mm -hmm. uh, he's, you know, he's going to want to explore every inch of his hot streak. And... But that that's when it's up to Finch and it's up to the maturity towns is, is the alpha, the older guy, the vet um, Finch and towns. And to a lesser extent, D'Lo and, and I'm just going to have to feel what it's like to play on a talented winning team where they are an integral part, but also a influential part of the culture. For sure. Um, and you know, I, that's where I have my doubts. I've had my doubts, but I'm thus far, those doubts have been relatively unfounded. So you and I like to talk about, um, the, the personality elements of, of players, sure. particularly as that pertains to pecking order, you know, leadership and, and all right. those sorts of things. And I mean, whether it be on a podcast or just us talking over the years. I mean, we've gone up and down back and forth with that, with cat. Sure. And, and now this year it's, um, but it'd be the joy of Anthony Edwards, you know, kind of digging into that psyche and, you know, right. Portraying it forward. That that's for you and I, that's a, that's a part of our analysis. And sure. 
And I well, think, I mean, there are human beings out there. Right. I, I'm just saying sometimes I get some, it's like, oh, dated bread. You know, you know, it's, it's the armchair psychologist thing. Like, yeah, you are, can always turn it off. You yeah, know? exactly. That's what I say. Um, no, I, 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 I actually do think it matters. I think, I think there's, there's three critical parts to, to analyzing basketball. It's the film, it's the stats, and it's the people. And, mm-hmm. and, and that, the, that's what, when you have those three things woven together and they make sense, you have a good team. I, I, I believe in that. The, the question mark I have, as I look at the top of this team and the, the top three guys, and it's something you and I haven't talked about very much, is um, D'Angelo Russell is a bit of a personality black box to me. Mm-hmm. And in that he's not someone that, to the extent that a media person gets to know a player in the locker room, is not right. someone we've been able to get to know uh, to the extent that we know Carl or even Ant at this point. Um, and, and I think it's actually, I think I would have a better sense of how I wanted to project this team going forward if I had a better understanding of D'Angelo Russell's personality. Now, I'm not saying that one way or the other that it seems good or it seems bad or anything like that. I don't know. It's a black box. It's just after that Kings win where D'Angelo Russell won the game, and you know he's back it's good and everything and he kind of you know, he sits down for his his post-game media with us and I don't know if you were there for that or not but he is just he's a very interesting person mm-hmm. and um extremely guarded almost to a fault I would say or or unnecessarily so he strikes me as very smart as just a human right and um but very skeptical, borderline cynical on, on, and you know, maybe this is people are probably listening. Maybe he's just cynical, skeptical of the media, which would, you know, given the track record of the media fair. Um, but it's just this, it's this interesting thing where, where I feel that who he is will impact who D'Lo and Cat are and who will impact who D'Lo Cat and Ant are together. And mm-hmm. And I don't know. I'm just kind of curious of what your social assessment of D'Angelo Russell is at this juncture. I think he is, I agree with you that he, I think he's a deep dude. I think he's mm-hmm. a deep thinker. I think he's somebody who um, has a plan for how he wants to present himself to the public and that plan varies according to circumstance. Uh, so in that respect, I think right now, certainly it's a work in progress. Uh, the first chunk of the season went badly for him. Um, and this second chunk of the season, he's got a coach that I think he's obviously more in sync with. And he's got, it seems to me, more freedom of movement. He likes the schemes. And he has a little bit more to prove now. And he's got Cat, you know, next to him. And so I think that he's smart enough to know that he's better off not saying anything that's going to be held against him if things hit the skids again. Why put yourself out there right now before... um, the issue of whether or not D'Lo and Cat are the magic duo is settled or not. Um, 
I think he's rightfully cautious with the media, certainly with a cynical person like me. I think he's he's right to um, not be as carefree, celebratory, as crowingly self-confident as Ant, for example, who's got innocence on his side. D'Lo is not innocent, you know. D'Lo's been traded three times in five years. He's got a track record of good things and not so good things that people pay attention to. Um, so I think he's just wisely biding his time right now. And I and think, I think authenticity is really important to him too, where he doesn't want to, he doesn't want to come on and turn the mics on and like, you know, just say some bullshit. Cause he has to say some bullshit. Like he wants to be skeptical, but he doesn't want to not answer because that would go against his mean, you know, or whatever, right, right. which is, which is interesting. And I think, you know, kind of plays into, I, I think it's a lot for him. I think that requires energy for him to, to navigate. And I think it's, it's a reason why a lot of times he doesn't come for media, you know, because mm -hmm. there's, right. there's an effort and energy that goes into that where he just goes, I'm just not going to do it, you know, which is, he, he doesn't want to dance. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's what I'm saying. You and know, I, he, he doesn't want, you know, the media's got a tune they're playing and we're looking to see the steps he makes. And mm -hmm. uh, he says, that's not my music, you know. Right. And so, um, and I give him credit for that. I mean, that that's that's an aspect of D'Lo I've always appreciated, quite frankly. Yeah, and I don't um, think either of us are like, I, 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 or at least I want to say, is I don't think it's bad to sometimes, you know, not do media. I think to some extent you do have to face right. the music, right. you know, uh, occasionally. But um, yeah, I, I don't, I understand I, keeping your distance as well. And I also think that um, for example, as impressed as I've been with Cats post games this year, um, I know a lot of the fan base is less patient with him right now than I am. Um, they're tired of the talk. They're tired of, you know, we need to play better defense. I think Cat is playing better defense. I don't think uh, it's as consistent or as high level as anybody wants. It's but I dominant. think it, yeah. if, if you're measuring on a curve, it's his best defensive season by far. Second best season would have been his rookie year with Cat and Tejan. I mean, with KG and Tejan, Tejan Prince. And, and Sam Mitchell's coach. Um, and so, and perhaps the Jimmy year, he was actually pretty good on defense because he had Butler and, and Taj around him. But even so. I would, I would honestly, my opinion is not close. This is his best season defensively and there's nothing that comes close to it. Mm, well, okay. I mean, I understand what you're saying. I also think like I, I, you, you know the rookie year better than me. I wasn't covering the team right. or, or any, you know, I wasn't in the weeds but to think, that extent. think about think about um the indiana game okay you know i mean there isn't anybody covering themselves in glory on defense uh oh don't I, this is not a me saying it's been a glorious defensive season. No, no no my answer there is more that the other years which specifically to the butler year i would say that yeah. the defense was not good that year well i mean statistically 24th but again, some of that is um, they had Crawford. the they... <laughs> <laughs> yes. 
But also the, you know, what were they, third or fourth in offensive efficiency? Yeah, fourth, yep. They had a cushion, you know. You can give up some, you know, some points if you're getting them that efficiently. So, you know, but all I've said, uh, to your greater point, um, or the, the issue you posed, to be determined on D'Lo. And, yeah. and, and also... I'm fine with that. Also, to be determined whether he can sustain, um, whether he can continue, whether he can make it a thing that this partnership is worth a total buy-in in the next training camp, you know, which means, you know, you don't want Rubio around. Okay. We'll get rid of him. Uh, you want this. Okay. We'll do that because you and Kat are the deal right now. And maybe you work in and as you were saying, encroaching a little bit more on the point guard duties, but maybe he could stave that off. And so to me, my largest problem with D'Lo has always been defense. Uh, and I think that his offense has been good enough that we don't notice that as much. I, there was a play tonight where Tatum got in on a backdoor cut where Cat immediately, we, I don't know if it was D'Lo's fault, but Cat certainly thought it was. He wheeled and, you know, basically barked at D'Lo for something. Again, we don't know the schemes and I'm not in the building, so I don't know. But I do know that Tatum went on a wide open backdoor cut and Cat chose to blame D'Lo for it, or at least vent to D'Lo. And so those are the things I worry about is um, I want to make sure that the defensive improvement at least approaches mediocrity, that he's not in the 10th percentile of, you know, all defensive metrics, Um, because otherwise it's going to be failed partnership. You can't have your two cornerstone guys both suck on defense. And if Cat becomes a better defender, then your chance for a real upgrade on defense um, gets more viable with somebody other than D'Lo. So, you know. It's – we're going to take a quick break here, but I, I, I think it's it's funny just to, to put a – pin in that last defense thing it's funny because we're both in agreement that cat's defense has accelerated to a degree that i think at the beginning of the year we would have been like all right like this is cool d'lo can still be below average if cat is that good right we're like that that impact right and then but now this new wrinkle in here is ant is worse worse (laughs) defensively so so now there's the it but in team on team defense he is you know yeah, I mean, yeah, no, I, I'm just saying right now. Right now, I I believe that Anthony Edwards is the worst of defensive player on the team. He sets more grenades in the half-court defense than any other guy. He basically leads... In, in the NBA. In the NBA. <laughs> I, I mean, you laugh. You watch other NBA games, Britt. Do you see anybody else consistently light the fuse that often? Mm. No, you don't. No. All right, Britt, so today you... Um, turned in, wrote, published a, a great feature on, on Jaden McDaniels, which is something I think you, you told us on the pod that you've been working on. It's called, let me scroll up to the top, it's long, A Samurai in Sheep's Clothing, Why Jaden McDaniels Has Been the Biggest Timberwolves Win of the Season. Right. Now, you know I don't write the headlines. I know. I knew you were going to say that <laughs> as soon as I said it. 
But you did plop the samurai in sheep's clothing in your opening paragraph. I did. So those are your words. Those are yes, your words. Yes. He's been your boy, man. You've 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 officially given him the. Well, the last two stand. stories I've written, if you haven't noticed, have been very laudatory. You know, I did an ant piece. I don't know why anybody says you're ever negative, man. <laughs> <laughs> well, I think that you know. I mean, I do like to go against the grain, and right now, um, you know, praising Timberwolves is is becoming a lost art so uh, you know all the diehards seem to be drifting away although to their credit i mean the diehards that i like the knowledgeable diehards that uh make covering the team fun because yeah. you get good feedback from them are all mcdaniel guys because i mean you know he's let's face it uh oh by the way let's let's also deliver the caveat that he got carved up tonight I mean, he, Jason Tatum did to him what Luka Doncic, James Harden, and Julius Randle could not do. I'm going to stand up for him, though. This yeah, I know. Anybody could have. Tatum was going to get 35 or 40 on anybody. I would say inclusion of screens is the biggest difference between particularly the Luka and Randle defensive performances. Dallas and New York went into that saying, we don't need – we don't need to get Luca or Randall off on a screen to make this a plus offensive matchup for us. Right. What you saw Boston do tonight, basically, you know, no matter who was starting on him, they just wanted to force a switch on Tatum to right. get the Wolves defense scrambling. And that is a weakness of Jaden McDaniels is right now is his weakness, right? His physical weakness. Right. Right. And, and I would say, you know, that's, that's that's why Jason Tatum carved up the Timberwolves is because they did not know Jaden McDaniels included, but the Timberwolves as a whole did not understand how to defend ball screen or off ball screen actions that included Jason Tatum. Now but that is one of his strengths. Usually is parsing that and being able to position himself. Um, I think that he was uh, he was counter out counter moved by Tatum most of the night. When Tatum was, you know, had it going from deep, um, and began to, uh, Tatum, long story short, Tatum varied his shot mix and retained his accuracy, and that makes him extremely tough cover. In addition to the fact that um, he does have a better blend of size and speed, and just. Tatum is a better pure shooter, not a better pure shooter than Harden, but a better pure shooter than Luca and Randall. Usually, although Randall has had a remarkably accurate season. Um, no, but you said pure shooter, like a shot maker. You like yeah, that, yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, Harden has that too, but Harden, especially with Brooklyn, has wanted to be dribble penetration to start the offense, and that that's right in. Uh, McDaniel's wheelhouse. If you try to drive on him and you're not really, really strong, um, he's he's, well, he's just going to beat well. you to the spot. He's like the. It's funny because Jaden McDaniel's is is a shot blocker, but he's like, you know, there's different types of centers who are really good defensively. There's centers who beat you to the spot for position, and then there's centers that beat the shot to the spot with the with right, with, right. The, with shot blocking. KG was always a guy like McDaniels who did not have to be there for the quote unquote charge or, you know, there mm -hmm. for the, 
what were you going to say? Well, I think it's a little bit different on the perimeter because what you were about to say is McDaniels goes up and can beat the shot 100%. He's a shot blocker there. Right. But what I like about his perimeter game, his perimeter defensive game, is, is he beats guys to spots because mm-hmm. he uses his length to say, all right, like, Harden, you're going to have to take a dribble to get into me, right? And by the time you take right. that dribble into me, I'm going to be – that I'm going to beat you to the away. spot because it's I'm much closer to said right. spot. And so I think, I mean, it's that combination of, of spatial awareness with the length and athleticism because so many guys who are long and athletic, there's been thousands of them through the NBA over time, they disregard that need to beat a guy to the spot because they go, oh, I can just recover. Michael Porter Jr. is a perfect example of that, right? Yes. Like yeah. he always, well, I mean, physically awesome. kind of. Kind of yeah, but physically kind of similar to to Jaden McDaniels, right. you know, right. and and actually a lot of the times when Michael Porter Jr. is quote unquote getting cooked, he can recover and just block somebody at the rim, but that's not going to happen every time. And right. if you don't beat the guy to the spot, so I, I love that. I love that about McDaniels' defense, and it really speaks to his his commitment to that end and just kind of this competitive spirit that seems to sort of drive him he does he understands to win the things that he has to do and that's it's such a it's such a unique thing for a 20 year old and and in the course of reporting the story one of my favorite facts out of this thing was he's second on the team in blocks per 36 minutes deflections and loose balls where you think a guy like mcdaniels with his length and quickness Mm -hmm. um you know, out of like 13 or 14 guys on the roster that qualify for, you know, the NBA stats in that particular category, um, he's 11th in deflections and 13th in loose ball recovery. In other words, I am not going to extend myself Mm. and lose my chance to beat you to that space and keep my spatial distance. I will forfeit any advantages, deflections, and loose balls give me in order to shut you down. And, I, you know, it's, it it's has the antithesis to be a, of the Malik Beasley strategy on defense, right? <laughs> and, and many others. I mean, yeah. the guys who are who were regarded as ace defenders uh, who, uh, you know, occasionally get hung out to dry because they overcommit. And it's actually one of the hardest things for Zach Levine ever to understand. Um, mm. You know, or Shabazz Muhammad. I mean, you can pick a guy. Uh, even Corey Brewer, who's a good defender, expends so much energy on Byzantine um, hustle. Yeah. Um, and that's one of the cool things about McDaniels that I knew. I always say he lets the game come to him. Um, and I didn't really unpack that enough until I sat down to write the piece part of that is refusing to go to the game in a place that exposes himself. You know, he lets the game come to him because he knows what he wants to happen. And if some potentially fortuitous thing enters the picture, it has to be pretty enticing for him to abandon Mm -hmm. his overall scheme of how he's going to, how he's going to guard somebody. And as you say, the coolest thing about that, is this, this is a kid. This is a guy who's 20 years old, who 14 months ago was leading the Pac-12 in technical fouls, personal fouls, and turnovers. He was a, a, he was an emotional mess 
You know, he was benched because he was an attitude problem. You know, guys like Bill Walton and PJ Carlissimo wondering if he could ever grow up to the point where he could be a functionally great player and tap into this talent. And here he is now, you know, arguably the best two-way player on, a, on an NBA team. You know, it's a fairly remarkable turnaround. It's, as you know, I, this was the first year I've ever like really, really sunk my teeth into, into the draft. And right with, with all the time um, that we had with quarantine and everything, it was, I watched a ton of time and, and did, I mean, like 25, like I, I wasn't 25 podcasts, but probably 25, 30 players worth of like deep dives and, and stuff and watching, you know, a crap ton of their film and everything. And we were just kind of getting to that pocket of the draft, the, the late first round guys and never got to, to Jaden McDaniels. And I so, I so regret that, you know, I, I so wish I wouldn't have just like binge watched a stupid show on Netflix or something yeah. on one day. And, and I, I just, I just wish I would have dug right. McDaniels. So I, I, because that part of the, the, the Bill Walton, PJ Carlissimo, all the Washington stuff, part of the analysis, which is a significant part of the Jade McDaniel story, is, is missing for both of us. You know, we, yeah, we don't... because we can't talk to him. I yeah. mean, it's one of those things you can't do on a Zoom. You could say, hey, yeah. why were you such a problem child 14 months <laughs> yeah. ago? You know, or, what I, or we don't even know what it looked like. Like, we don't even really know right, what that right, looked right, like. Right, like right, right. I would love to have watched a game of like, oh, Here's a game where Jaden McDaniels was a a mental disaster because it just doesn't it doesn't right, register right. in my head because he's the most calm collected and I, I mean I think most people listening to this have probably at least seen some of the interview stuff with McDaniels but he's the he's like maybe the softest spoken kid I've ever covered yeah and and it and just that's what that's the other cool yeah. thing is that's subterfuge you know I mean the guy is is a maniac inside you know i mean that's what's cool another cool thing about it you know i mean it it was i mean it was a fun story to write in part because um as a writer you have to let your joy out you know where you find it you know if you you know it is very tempting and i give into the temptation and occasionally it is fun just savaging you know, <laughs> terrible play. If something is terrible, you find creative ways to call it terrible and you ratify the frustrations of a fan base and everybody goes, all right, exactly. Yeah. But if you do that all the time, um, you're going to lose your perspective. And part of perspective is remembering you love this game. You know, this game is a blessed portion of your entertainment life you know uh i mean i do this quote unquote for a living but um my recreation and my living uh are have always overlapped you know whether it's music sports even politics you know until trump so you know i want to take a brief uh divergence here sure dmx passed away i know that really it was tough I, I was a big DMX guy. Uh, you know, I mean, I'm a 68-year-old white guy. Let's put all the prefaces in. I'm not mm-hmm. pretending to be uh, 
my you, relationship. You do that too much. You do that too my, much. My relationship with hip hop, you you have to be self-aware. I mean, I you know. have to understand. I, you, you, I know, but you can also be a 68-year-old white dude and unabashedly like hip hop because you do. Yeah. I know you. I, and people I, don't agree. know that, but like you, well, people probably don't, a lot of people probably don't even know that you write about music and have, that mm. has also been part of your profession for your career. But it's, it's, it's a cool thing is getting to know you as my friend that, you know, we have conversations about that. Right. And like, I feel like it's, it's like when somebody who doesn't know shit about basketball starts, you know, talking <laughs> to me about, not that I'm not saying I'm all almighty right. or, or godlike in that way, but, but, uh, you, you know, your shit. And it's something you've dug into for your whole life. There's literally fucking 2000 records behind your head right now <laughs> in, in the, in the video. It's, I have been definitely been fortunate enough to write about music to the point where people have been sending me free stuff for like 40 years. So I have heard a lot of music and I do have specific tastes. My knowledge of hip hop, I think probably uh, started to take a precipitous turn when it became more uh, repetitious banger songs and less about lyrics than about uh, the groove. And I would peg that uh, to probably be, I mean, you know, you still get, you know, guys like Earl Sweatshirt. And I mean, there are guys who still are modern rappers who, you know, turn my crank. But for the most part, um, you know, uh, I would say the last 10 years, my knowledge of hip hop has, has fallen off. Uh, but 20 years ago, that was something that you and Kevin Garnett connected over when you covered. Oh, KG. without a doubt. Without a doubt. Yeah. I mean, KG, in fact, you, you know, was, yeah, even longer ago. Yeah, probably 25 years ago. You're right. 20 years ago. Um, we were um, um, in um, the locker room and something came on. I came It might have been the Lost Boys or something, but uh, whatever it was. I said, oh, yeah, they're part of so-and-so's crew or something. And he looked, looked around at me and went, look at you. <laughs> he said, seriously, man, you know, what are you rocking? And he looks at my feet and they're like, I have K-Swiss on. So that couldn't happen. <laughs> but, you know, he starts to think about, you know. And so, you know, and, and we moved on to something else or something. But uh, about a week or so later, you know, he, we were just doing an interview, you know, I was doing a post-game thing. What was cool back then was that almost every other person in the locker room was a daily writer, a beat guy. Mm -hmm. And KG was almost always late. And so they would get like the first five minutes and they had KG quotes, you know, Ashburner and Ray Richardson and some of these other guys. And they split. And KG was still getting dressed. Uh, this is back in the days when, you know, people didn't dress before they talked and so uh so kg's getting dressed and i'm the only other guy there we we talk and once he realized i knew something about hip-hop you know he talked with me about it we talk hoops and we talk hip-hop most of the time and um he asked you know so who you like who you've been listening to nowadays and something like that <laughs> and i said uh dmx he goes oh you know that's my guy and then he starts you know barking and doing the whole you know whole but you know and, and you know and we get into rough riders and you know what swiss beats is doing and all this other stuff and uh but the for a while there you know like when uh the, the uh, hot as hell or whatever that record was it came out uh you know the third one um 
And I said, you know, I've been listening to this new one. And he had been, of course, listening to it for a long time. And so we talked about that. And uh, cool, man. But it got to be a situation. Well, I mean, what was really cool for me, as you know about this, um, is that even back then, I was, what, you know, 40-something, let's say. And uh, KG was 20-something. And it is his culture. I mean, uh, you know, it's not my culture to the extent that, you know, um, you know, Jimi Hendrix may be black, but I grew up listening to Jimi Hendrix as a firmament of my culture. I would claim him as my culture, just, you know, I think people know when something is of their culture and when it's not. And so what I'm saying is, you know, that's a situation where uh, I, I could claim what I knew I liked and how I liked it. And I had a depth of knowledge that didn't embarrass me. Uh, so it was cool conversations. It's, it's interesting you say it like that. Cause it's the whole, I think about the whole culture thing a lot in, in covering the NBA and, and basketball, which is obviously right. predominantly African-American sport, but it's also right. very much part of my culture growing right. up. Right. And um, as a, as a, as a white person, you know, that it doesn't, you know, it doesn't mean it, it could have been my culture too. And it, and it right. was, and it's right. cool when my experience hasn't been over music or anything like that, right. but, but with some of the players, when you, that I've gotten to know over the years, you know, to the extent that, again, that we can get to right. know people, sure. it is cool to be able to, um, to understand that there is, you know, shared cultural interests, even though, cause it's something I feel weird about all the time. Um, you know, walking into a locker room that's predominantly black and I'm with a group of, I mean, the vast majority of the time we're all white. I mean, Henry Lake, right. Henry Lake's black. And that's why I actually really appreciate him, his involvement in the, in the beat with us when he does it. But sure, it's, it's, it's always something that, um, you know, I, I struggle with. I remember, you know, James Johnson last year told me, he's like, you're, you're the blackest media person I've ever met. <laughs> and I was like, well, that's not true. But it's, it's cool because when you can connect with people like in that right. way, and, and Jeff Teague was as that was somebody I really liked um, right. getting to know over time. We're like the same or He's a year older than me, but we, we played in AAU against each other like one time. Right. And, right. and that right. sort of thing. So it's, it's cool. And I think it's important because um, from the player side also to understand whether it's you with KG understanding that there is um there is this overlap in in interests and just who you are as 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 people and it's a it's a cool thing it's one of my favorite things about basketball actually is that um you know whether it's people i've played basketball with people i've covered basketball with people i've covered um people i have written that read my stuff whatever it doesn't exactly it doesn't matter you know it's like there is this, I guess the word would be like a common language of just hoops. And, um, you know, it's been when that can be clarified, I think it's it's one of the coolest things, because in basketball, players wise, it's so. You know, the white guy's the shooter and it is almost right, a, right. there's almost a racial divide on on the floor and all that. And um, I love when it I love when it all is just a bunch of people who like basketball. Right. And I think, first of all, you have to be very, very comfortable in your own skin. 
And what that means, in addition to being confident about who you are, is being confident about who you're not. Mm -hmm. And so that I never want to extend myself into territory where yeah. I don't feel comfortable about what I'm up to. Right. That's, that's gross. Because that's gross. You start well, the whole yeah, it's, it's, thing. Yeah. Well, and also you, it is, um, aside from, well, it is a form of hypocrisy. I mean, hypocrisy is probably the thing I am most afraid of doing. To being a hypocrite to me is like probably uh, the cardinal sin of character for me. I If I say what I say, I say what I mean, I don't turn around and act and believe differently. That's very important to me. But which is all to say that I think it's important to know yourself, who you are and who you're not. But the other part of that is knowing what the nature of the relationship is. Um, I treasured those, you know, there was probably 30 or 40 nights over the course of eight to 10 seasons where I had, you know, 15 minutes, 20 minutes, just KG and I shooting the shit. And I walked out of there, you know, he taught me so much about the game and I learned so much from him and I was getting a bunch of information from Flip at the same time and Flip was talking to KG. So I had that nexus of things going on and I cherish it. But when KG came back to town after what, only like four or five years away, he didn't really know who I was. Hmm. You know, I mean, to the extent where I said, hey man, you know, something like that. And I could see him searching. And he knew like who Mike Max was, or he knew, you know, who these guys on television were, who almost were never in the locker room, but right. it was TV or, you know, whatever. And, and it, it really, I, I'm really thankful that I never got so invested in the idea that, hey, I'm yeah, buzzing funny, KG, right, yeah. that yeah. I would be like crushed. I was still <laughs> disappointed, you know, like, hey, you know, Man, I guess it, it meant a lot more to me than it did to him. <laughs> Who knew, you know? But I mean, yeah. at the same time, it, it was really helpful. And I was thankful again to this idea. Right. Don't get over your skis in terms of how you are with people. Uh, know what is really up as you're dealing with folks. And so um, I just think it's, it's important. And I guess that may be one of the reasons when the subject of hip hop comes up in 2021, you know, anyway, what I want to say is that DMX, um, he, he had a soulfulness that um, he was uh, a spiritual person and a party person um, and incredibly gruff and incredibly sensitive all bound up into something. It does not surprise me that he had glaring vulnerabilities that cost him uh, because of just the way he, he, he delved into his artistry. But he really gave me a lot of visceral uh, enjoyment. Um, you know, I mean, I played the shit out of, you know, 
those first three records, especially the first two. And, you know, some of the side projects of the Rough Riders and stuff. Also, you know, he set a template for a certain time. And so, you know, um, so he's gone, you know, age 50. Um, too bad. Yeah, it is. Well, I wanted to ask you one more thing about Jade McDaniels. Sure. <laughs> Go Jade McDaniels to DMX back. Oh, that's right. Sure, no problem. Um, what is your willingness to trade Jaden McDaniels this off season? <laughs> um, Not as a, as an activity of, I think so as to all label the players his on the roster, he'd be my least likely to be traded. Hmm. I can't think of another player on the roster. I wouldn't trade before Jaden McDaniels. Right. So the, the reason I asked this is I did as kind of inspired by our conversation last time, last time we talked um, about the idea of adding a rim protector, you know, playing the uh -huh. Pacers, sure, playing sure. the Pacers. I kind of, for a segment of the, and that got good feedback from what I could tell on Twitter. Yeah. A lot of people I, well, like that idea. People. Well, yeah. And, well, then people love the idea of trades too. So we could, <laughs> we could throw out anything, but um, no, I, I, I think it, I think it's interesting. And that was its own sort of thought. I, activity of bringing in miles turner was was the one you know that that i brought up right. in that and and uh the pacers are really interesting in in the sense that they have this savonis and turner thing right that they might you know want to break up and they can also kind of point directly to well if we trade savonis we could probably get what we, the magic got for vucevic and if we want to trade turner we can probably get what you know they traded for gordon you know, those are kind of equivalents a lot in a lot of ways it matches up. Sure. So, that makes so, sense. I, so I found myself doing that. You can't the, do it without McDaniels, right? Well, kind of. So the deal was for Aaron Gordon, if Aaron, and assuming Aaron Gordon and Miles Turner are similar values, is it was Gary Harris, a protected 2025 first, and RJ Hampton. And it's really easy if you're the Timberwolves to line that up, right? You got Ricky Rubio equals Gary Harris. The Wolves can trade a protect. They have their 2025 pick. You can, so a future protected first. And then, you know, they have Jade McDaniels, who actually went four picks after RJ Hampton. And that's kind of, so that kind of becomes the core of your offer for any player, whether you call it Miles Turner or, or whoever down the list. And I mean, I don't think I, I wouldn't do that. I wouldn't no. do, no. And, and so, so the question then becomes, the, the way the other way I went with it is can you convince Indiana to do anything else by plugging in, you know, some other sort of asset for McDaniels? Cause you can't, you can't give up McDaniels for that. But then the other way to look at it is, well, what player is good enough that you would be willing to trade Rubio a first and McDaniels for? Because hmm. now we're talking about a tier above Aaron Gordon, Miles Turner, John Collins, right? Cause I think yeah. we turned down that trade. We turned down McDaniels' inclusion in any of those. But what if you, you know, and, and who knows, obviously, if any of these guys will be made available, but what if you bump it up to Pascal Siakam? No. Okay, so that's interesting. Um, what about McDaniels, five years from now, it's quite likely that McDaniels will be Pascal Siakam. Okay, right. So why in the world at, at what at and all that money, meanwhile, mm -hmm. you know, what are you paying Siakam in that intervening four years? 
what can you do with that money that you're not spending on Siakam investing in your roster, you know? So, uh, no, I mean that the the thing about, um, there is a floor for Jaden McDaniels based on the defense we've seen thus far. It's ridiculous to think that he's not going to improve as he physically matures. Mm -hmm. And if there is room, if you begin to tinker with the roster and you want to create some space for him to blossom offensively, there is room for him to be a 15 point a game scorer well within his comfort zone. How about that? Uh, how about at mid Jim Pete shout out of your article, the back cut and dunk for McDaniels. <laughs> How perfect was that? And, but it's serious. Yeah. Like that yeah. showcase, like McDaniels wasn't doing that two months ago. Right. Exactly. He, he That's didn't a, look like he could, you know? And, well, and uh, you know, if you want to put a, a feather in Finch's cap, true shooting percentage since the all-star break six over 64, know, before the all-star break 48, you know? Right. Um, and and you can tell he's more confident off the dribble tonight. The first shot of the game was Jaden McDaniels deciding to take on the Celtic defense. No, but uh, that was ran for him. I I, I love I know every I know. time I love Finch's first play is so intentional every time. And you know what his first play of the second half was? It was for Ant getting downhill. Right, right. It was off right. that curl. They the, the raise him up the curl catch right. where he's right. you know he just catches it and goes right downhill like. That is smart because what did Ant not do? Ant was making a shot in the first half, but he wasn't getting downhill. I right. think, yeah, I thought that was interesting. That they and I will that. tell you that that murderer's row week that he had where he took on uh, yeah. Luca, Harden, and, and Randall, the coach is not trading Jade McDaniels anytime soon. I mean, he wants one goddamn defender he can depend right. on who can also not leave a gaping wound at the other end of the court, you know. Can I There's double only... make this clear that I don't I'm not even bringing this up as a no, no. sense of a trade. I I'm I'm, I'm no. doing it to No, I know. Yeah, to, to value, say, right? right? No. To, I'm, I'm not saying you are. Uh, yeah, yeah. No, I'm not I'm not expecting I I think that, you know, um most people do like these trade scenarios. Uh, this is I'm my not, favorite way to talk about it, though. Yeah, yeah, no, right. You know what I mean? What you might not do, or well, mm-hmm. how much is that guy really? Yeah. How valuable is he? Mm-hmm. I, th- I think that the the great thing. I mean, what I tried to do in my last paragraph is, or maybe next to last, whatever it was, the last section is just put it all on a boat. There's like seven different ways this guy is perfect for this <laughs> franchise. Yeah. You know, I mean, he's cheap. He's a two-way player. He doesn't talk a lot, so he doesn't get into the social media bandwidth of these guys. He's a sweat equity guy who really is a sweat equity guy. And his usage rate is 12. Usage rate is 12. He has removed himself from the war. (laughs) Peace signs, Jade McDaniels. So, yeah, I mean, he's... um, and he doesn't seem the slightest bit unhappy with no. the way he's being used, um, which is I, I can only cross my fingers and hope that remains to be true because, you know, right. the last thing in the world this team needs 
is an unhappy defender. it's it's interesting because this roster is going to change this offseason and it will be by i hope so by 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 making a move something like that um right some sort of rubio plus a young player plus a pick for somebody or or beasley plus a young player plus a pick for something that like those will be, and it'll be a more complicated structure, but, but something along those lines is going to happen. And if we are at the point where Jaden McDaniels has removed himself in the way that Anthony Edwards has removed himself from that conversation, like we wouldn't even fuck around to put Anthony Edwards in fake trades like that. It's like, well, that's just, right, right, you know, right. you're not, you're not going to, you're not going to do that. And it's, it's such a testament to the pick and who Jaden McDaniels is to have been removed from that conversation on a team that we both agree desperately needs to make that exact type of move. It's right. It's a, uh, it's bold. Or, or get their pick. What do you mean by that? I mean, if they have a top three protected right. pick, yeah. then thing, things really do change. Totally. It's two, and 40, two different 40% off-season. is not bad. And they're going to stay at 40%. It's like, I don't know if the Magic no. played or won. The, the, the Magic the are four Pistons, and a half games the ahead. The Pistons are hot. It doesn't, it, yeah. I mean, the Wolves are. The Pistons have won two in a row, I think. That's just astounding. Well, it doesn't, it, that's what's, okay. The lottery odds have not been adjusted enough. But I'm glad that it is, the bottom three is all the same. You know, right. otherwise this would get right. ugly. This would yeah. get, from a Wolves perspective, certainly from a Rockets perspective, and and from a Detroit perspective, if it meant if it was one set of odds for one, one set of odds for two, and one set of odds for three, it would get gross. Now they can all kind of like, you know, you're Detroit. You're not pissed about a two game winning streak, right? Like you're still gonna probably hang on to that that three slot, and it's gonna and gonna make you know no well, difference. Well, Cleveland and Orlando are both interesting cases, you know? but it's. I mean, yeah, I, I thought so, too. If you're too. that fourth team, you know, you go from 40 to 29. Now, in the case, fortunately, for all the other teams. Cleveland has the... is seven games better than the Wolves right now. Seven. Ooh, yeah. And, and, what and about Orlando's Orlando? four and a half. Yeah. With 19 games to go. I mean, it's yeah, like, yeah. it's almost it's almost going to be hard to do. Like Right. Plus, there's a tough schedule coming for the Wolves. Right. And, and if need be, they'll lop off one of their legs. I mean, that's I. I don't know. As long as it's not Cat and D'Lo, man, I don't think the cynicism of the Wolves fans cannot go any more charred. You know, you cannot speciously call Cat's wrist suddenly a problem. Um, mm. He's going to need to do that in the off season. He has to. What May twelfth, right? And what's today? April 9th or whatever. Yeah. Okay, so and there's 30 days in April. You got 33 days. You got less than five weeks. 19 games in five weeks. Do it. Play it out. Oh hell, See, dude, I'm totally with you. Like, no, no, but but there. Look, what could happen last year? I mean, you know, right now there needs to be as large as possible a sample size as to what's going on. And right now. Don't you feel better about this team than you did two weeks ago? Yeah, and I sure as hell would if I was the front office. 
Right. And that's because exactly. that's that's because you know some of their some of their moves are beginning to have a little bit of logic to them. Right. You know, as somebody who's been deeply cynical about that, I'm happy to admit that it, my opinion is trending more positive than it was two weeks ago. No. So, you know, I yeah, I think they will try <laughs> the rest of the way as because I think they see that value, too. And as we've talked about before, you know, the worst case is you get to like the fourth worst record in the league. It's not a demonstrably it's seven or something. Yeah. It's like 36, actually. It's 36, not even, okay. Yeah. Right. So it's it's not. You know, it, I know that fourth pick odds go way up, <laughs> which doesn't help at all. Right, right. Um, but I, I don't know. I, I, this team's been this team's been more fun this past week since whenever last time we recorded, and um, I think they're going to continue. I think it'll be a lot, a lot more of games good like guys this. to write about, though. <laughs> yeah, no, and you already a lot do. of dirty pieces. <laughs> I could give you some notes on Nas Reed if you need. You know what? Um, when I was talking, when I was talking to Jim Pete about uh, McDaniel's, yeah, um, he was raving about Nas. I, I'm missing something board. about Nas. I'm missing something about Nas. That, no, uh, you know, well, I respect your knowledge. I respect Jim Pete's knowledge. You know, somewhere along the line, um, I just don't you like what he's about? Yeah, I feel like he's fool's gold. I feel like he's one of those guys that if you put him on a good team, he will quickly be exposed. And um, yeah, if it was right now, if it was right now, I agree. I've already, I've already given you that. My, my whole Nas intrigue is like, so after this deal is up, signing him on to, you know, one of those nice, another like four year deal. And it's like six million per, or something like that. And he'll earn that if he's still around playing like this, right? Right. And, um, you know, and and now you have you have a a, a solid uh, for for sure. I what I think at that point you got a good solid backup. You got a guy who can play some four, I think, or, or next to another big. And then I, you know, maybe this doesn't fit in the Wolves context, but I I don't hate him as a Daniel Tice starting five where you're paying him five million bucks and now you put your other 120 million dollars into the rest of your roster like see but i don't think he's as tough as tice no i don't think he's i meant that in the sense of that's what the celtics have done the past few years is spend everything else right, elsewhere right, right. and go cheap at center like i i could see that and and i what i am impressed with most about Nas is how he's improved his body his fire as a competitor and the dude can hoop like he's he is a fluid basketball player for a big guy like i i just there there seems to be ways that that could be harnessed i don't know exactly what when he catches fire he's fun to watch Mm -hmm. and is the defense is is obviously a question sometimes i feel better about it and then like tonight i I mean, again, I don't know what the hell they were trying to run defensively, but the amount of times he just didn't cut guys off, drive into the basket. I'm like, what are you, what are you worried about here? Like, why are you trying to prevent it from going back to Robert Williams or Tristan Thompson? Like, get in Jason Tatum's way. He has plenty of that stuff. It feels to me like his body doesn't go together somehow. Like, he's either top-heavy or bottom-heavy. I don't know which. 
but it's like um <laughs> yeah sure you know what i mean he falls down a lot and he he moves in a way that um uh, overemphasizes mean... overemphasizes one part of his body versus another part of his body um and yet then he'll turn around and like basically blow through three guys and put in a basket That's um good. why can't when people I want to ask him, him how much weight he's lost. That's what I want I to ask want, him. And I can't, and I would totally ask him, just walk up in the locker room and ask him that privately, because that's like a personal question. Right. That I can't, you know, do, you know, do over the zoom. But I think that is probably fucking up his balance a little bit. You know what I mean? Like, you know what I want to see? I want to see somebody who's built well, but not as big and not as heavy run into him fairly hard and have that guy go down and Nas stand up. Right. I mean, that's what I'm waiting for. I'm waiting for uh, some fiber in the paint. Uh, mm -hmm. That's what I miss about him. And I think that's, um, I think that's really important. I mean, I think if your center can't provide a physical presence, um, you're really operating at a disadvantage, even with all the cool stuff he can do. You know, I, I agree. I'll tell you, you know, <laughs> he'd make a hell of a Harlem Globetrotter or something, you know. <laughs> I mean, you know, he's got all kinds of cool finesse skills. Uh, he, I just go back to at the Combine, he's this massive, strong dude. At the Combine, he couldn't bench 185 three times, which, yeah, mean, so which he, literally means he's never bench pressed before. That's what that means. Right. And, and you watch him just carry himself, run and jump. He couldn't jump. Mm -hmm. We're talking about, what would that been? Like summer league? That's like 20 months ago. I know. Where, it's amazing how compressed time is. So so that is like, I don't You're know. You're saying that he's on a path. I'm and saying that he's on a path. And the path is going to continue to be a good path. And, and, I, and, and I like my psychological shit. And I and, like what and, he's about. And I will tell you, if you're right, I, I am... I'm, I hope to say that you're right. Um, because if Nas can be a $5 million a year backup center um, that actually has a presence, could be Robert Williams, you know, sure. um, who probably is making more than five for all I know. I don't know. Well, probably he's still in his rookie, rookie deal. deal yeah. but, but, but I'll take that in the backup center. Um, again, we just got through talking about maybe the need to get a real center. Right. Right. Um, you know, and, so then, yeah. then I don't know what happens with Nas. I'm not, um, I'm not married to him. I'm not married to him, but this is half a, no, you're not married to anything. You're a real GM. <laughs> I, I I'll say this is my last thing. Ryan Saunders once told me Nas Reed is the person on this team who cares the most about winning. Hmm. Nobody's more bothered by losses and, and emboldened by winning than Nas Reed. And um, I think that matters. And he also said he what did wasn't Nas the guy he said he was the most coachable player he's ever had. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Well, and I think so, and I think uh, I think Finch has said something along those lines. It all kind of blurs together. But I don't know. I I, I like what he's about, but also very much recognize he's a uh, he's a backup center, but currently a backup center who is on a minimum contract for the next two years. And you could turn down his team option after the fourth year. And if you want, if you do that, then he's a restricted free agent. I mean, 
the Gupta special. That's part of the love for, for me too. Right. No, he's I on understand. The Gupta, he's on the Gupta special. This is this is where Jeremy Grant started. This is where Robert Covington started. Right. Or maybe T.J. McConnell's a better example, but no, they're all good examples. I'm a huge Jeremy Grant guy. Um, and I will say, you and Jim Pete, you know that's that's a that's a synergistic influence on me because I think that. I, I have great respect for both of your opinions and you're both pretty firmly. I mean, he's the one that brought up Nas when I said, you know, that that was talking to him. I said, I think, you know, there, there's a really good argument for um, McDaniels being the best two way player on the team, even at age 20. Mm-hmm. And he, he brought Nas into the conversation and, you know, began to talk about some things just to, in terms of, uh, I don't think he was saying that he's the best two-way player, but I think he was saying is don't leave out Nas the fact a young that Nas is a, is a two-way player, you know, at least in mm-hmm. Jim's eyes. And also, let's not forget that Jim played the pivot. <laughs> yeah. he, he, know, he, he knows what he of what yeah. he speaks. Yeah, so right. you're on you're in you're in good hands agreeing with Jim Pete on that. I think so. I'm the outlier here, but again, you know, you can only. You can only say what's in your in your head or in your heart. Thus far, it's not there for me. Yeah, and you also point this out a lot of the time. Is I think you tweeted after through the Pacers game that if Goga Batadze was on the Timberwolves, that we'd be, <laughs> <laughs> that we'd be talking about him for two weeks, which is totally fair. I would. <laughs> he was fabulous. He had a great half. You know. <laughs> yeah. That pick made no sense. But how, why the hell? They, what was he, like the 14th pick? You have Turner and Sabonis, and then you pick Pata- – oh, whatever. I don't know. The Pacers the Pacers are weird. All right, Britt, thanks for doing it. Again, took too sure. much of your time. But uh, these oh, are fun. No it's, it's fun to, to kind of react to the games, too, when it's and we And fresh. we were able to get out of the uh, post game. We should finish by – I mean, I asked Chris Finch a question. <laughs> I've never been uh, – just basically uh, called an idiot without being called an idiot quite as openly as I was, you know, he was clearly not happy with the idea that he had to, you know, do as, as I do to, you know, what yeah. I said about D'Lo and dancing. Chris Finch did not want to do the coach media dance tonight. <laughs> yeah. And uh, I came on late uh, because we weren't sure whether we were going to go, you know, right into this or yeah. go to the coach. And I wanted to hear the coach, but I got on there. And somebody's in the middle of asking a question. I'm trying to figure out who went where. Right. And all of a sudden, you know, I never know. You know, sometimes people, I'm not around anymore. So I don't know when some people still favor me by my old reputation of being in there and being like one of the first few guys to call on. So all of a sudden somebody goes, Brit. So I said, <laughs> okay, well, I'm on. And so I'm thinking to myself, oh man, you know, I mean, I'm sure somebody's asked about Okogi already. So there was a little bit oh, of they had apology, it. They had it. A little bit of an apology in my voice, which is a fatal weakness whenever you're dealing with anybody, is you know, you, you say this may have been asked before, so I'm sorry, but what was the rationale for putting in a Kogi tonight? Had one I I overstated it, I said one of his best games of his career or something. And then, but why did you put him in and everything? And he looks up and he said, to guard Brown and Tatum. <laughs> that He's was got, the end of that answer. Finch, Finch has some tips in it, man. I've been saying that. He does. He, he has some. And I just what, went, okay, well, I've got a pod to do. I'll see you later. <laughs>
Uh, all right. He's Britt Robson at Britt Robson. Again, check out his article. It's uh, we're doing a good job of talking about your articles without not getting all without ruining them. Yeah, I, I really you know, think so. and, and look, believe me, uh, at this point in time, uh, <laughs> it all blurs together. I don't yeah. care. You know, right. I mean, you know, it's out there in the world and people want to read it. Great. If right. they don't, they can hear me talk about it to the extent we have tonight and take <laughs> or, it from there. Or DMX. Or right. DMX. <laughs> right. All right. That's Britt. I'm Dane at Dane Moore NBA. I will talk to you. What's our next game? Sunday. Britt, you'll be there. You'll be That's at the right. game. Your first game be. of the season. Well, um, it'll be what will be fascinating now. It's a real high drama as to whether or not I can get my laptop to sync up with targets and whether I'll even be on the post-game Zoom. Uh, that's, I think I, the I've tried 50, to help you 50. before. I, I couldn't, no, I couldn't no, no, solve no, no. your risk. I'm going to give it to the tech people. I've already told Aaron Freeman. I'm, <laughs> I'm going to give my laptop over and, and just let the tech people deal with it. Uh, and some I have have tried that in the past. And that guy, the skinny guy with the glasses, just basically gave it back to me and said, I don't know. I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> well. Britt will be tweeting from his laptop on Sunday night. At or my phone. Center. Or your or your Samsung one that you have. It's um, actually technically, this is an honest to God's truth. It's a Galaxy 3. I can tell. Uh well, I look forward to seeing you at the game for real. Um All right. it'll be uh it'll be fun to I haven't seen you in person in like a year. No, it was the summertime. Oh, okay. we, we did a couple well, of pods outside of your now. place. That's yeah, true. That's about nine summer. months, right? Yeah. Well, all right. He's Brett. I'm Dane. I will talk to you after that Sunday night game. Till then, peace out. How I'm feeling, man. I hope it never stops. Yeah. Green it hard so you can find me in the crowd. Yeah. yeah.